Have you been as anxious as I have been this week? It has been two weeks since we've been able to gather together as a church family. Two whole weeks. I was starving. Goodness gracious, it is a joy to be able to gather with God's people as, a fam- as the family of God and enjoy the fellowship together, to enjoy the, the time of uh, just time together. And I missed it. I really did. I hope you did as well. This morning we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. I am taking the liberty of uh, jockeying a couple of my messages in light of where we are today as a church. Next week you'll have the opportunity to observe and to enjoy the time together with a, a candidate. And uh, I wanted to jump ahead just a little bit here and give you some of the things that God has to share about the qualifications of the pastor. Basically, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about me. That'll be a very short story. But then I want to get into the Word, and I want to share with you what God has to share. This is going to take two Sundays to do this, so I'm going to work on it today, and then I'm going to share. Melissa, you need to keep track of this so that next time uh, I'm here, that'll be uh, the first Sunday of May. I'll give you the part two of this particular message, the shepherd, the shepherd. So if you're not there, please join me, First Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses of this chapter. And just before I get into the passage, I want to share with you a quote that that uh, C.H. Spurgeon shared uh, a number of years ago, and it goes like this. He says, A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. C.H. Spurgeon said that a number of years ago, long before the days in which we find ourselves now. And the truth is that we have a multitude of churches in which there are people standing on the platform who are not preaching the Word of God. They are not sharing with the people, thus saith the Lord. They are preaching some kind of a social gospel. I, I call it the Reader's Digest condensed version. And that is tragic. There are many people today who are attending those churches many of whom who believe that they're going to heaven based on what they've been hearing from the Reader's Digest, not based on what the Word of God has to say. Paul reminds us that there will come a time in which people will seek out those who will tickle their ears. We're living in those days. We're living in those times. And the days continue to grow shorter, even though we're in a season in which they're growing longer. We are living in a day and age in which people are indeed looking for someone to tickle their ears. I hope that's not the case here. Let me rephrase that. I know that's not the case here. I will tell you this, Kathy and I are impressed. We're impressed with the spiritual maturity of the people who sit in these pews. People who are asking intelligent questions. Even though they may think it's March instead of April. You had to be in Sunday school for that one. 
Which, by the way, if you want more of that, you need to come next Sunday, 9.30, Sunday school. Bring the kids. They'll enjoy it. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in these seven verses, now this isn't the only place that you're going to find these words and and the encouragement that uh, Paul shares with Timothy. You will understand, as we just reflect back here a few weeks, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are known as the pastoral epistles. They're written by Paul to Timothy and to Titus with the intent of encouraging them as pastors. In this particular case, as he's writing to Timothy, he's there in Ephesus. He is the pastor of that church. He is is working with them diligently, helping them to grow spiritually. Paul had spent an extended period of time there himself. And in this particular case, as Paul gets to this chapter, and you understand when God wrote this, when, when Paul was penning these words, there were not chapters and there were not verses. This was just an epistle, a letter that was written. When he gets to this section of the letter... He is sharing with Timothy, okay, Timothy, you are in the process of discipling these people, and in that process, you're going to find that there are individuals who are anointed by God to be pastors. Here are the qualifications. Here are the things to instill in your people and to instill in those who are considering the ministry. Now, I do need to share this with you, too, as as we're dealing with this subject matter. Not everyone who wants to be a pastor is called to be a pastor. Not everyone who desires to be in the pulpit is anointed by God to be a pastor. Now that's a sobering thought because we have a lot of people standing in pulpits today who are not called of God to be pastors. So one of the things that needs to happen is making sure that that this man is called of God to be a pastor. Now, I need to share this with you, too. Pastor Molinaw works with Pastor Duke Crawford. Pastor Duke Crawford's the pastor there. I know this man. And the men that work with him are quality individuals. And I dare say, I don't know Pastor Andy, but I dare say that you're going to find him to be a quality man of God. We'll find out next week. Now, the public committee, the search committee already know that, and that's why they're recommending him to you. As I work my way through this text, I hope that what you will do is you will keep in mind what you're looking for as a pastor. But more importantly, I want you to make sure that you're not looking backward. Because the danger is you're going to sit there and go, well, so-and-so was not called to be a pastor. Now, don't let's not worry about that. The history is a history. As we deal with today... Let's deal with what Paul has to share and where we are as a congregation as we look to God, as we look to his direction and to his call on the life of this dear, this dear man. Let's take a look at the text first and then I'll come back and talk about what it says. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, Able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the, the, the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, 
lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The Word of God uses three different words to describe the office of pastor. The Word uses three, three specific words. First of all, he uses the word episkopos, and that's the word that is used here in this passage. It's the word that is often translated bishop. And the idea of this particular word or this particular title is that this is an individual who has the ability to administrate. Sometimes the word is translated overseer. He has the oversight thereof. So it carries with it that idea of administration, that idea of being able to oversee the ministry of that local church. The other word that is used is the word presbyteros. Presbyteros. And this is a word that is translated elder. Elder. And it carries with it the idea of maturity, integrity, moral fiber, example, dignity. Then the other word that is used in the scriptures to describe the office of pastor is the word shepherd. Shepherd. We often use that word pastor. This carries with it the idea of protector, feeder, nourisher. Now understand, as as I gave you those three different terms, all three of them are wrapped up in one office. So this individual needs to have that ability to oversee, have the ability to, to project, and to have the quality of maturity and dignity and integrity. But even more so, he needs to have the ability to shepherd. To be the one who feeds the flock, that protects the flock. If there's any fault that I would find in ministry today, it would be that many people that are coming out of our schools are people who are trained to be CEOs, that are trained to be uh, overseers of of a business, so to speak. And while there are certain aspects of church that are business-related, I believe the primary responsibility is going to fall in the area of shepherd, especially as you look at the qualifications that we find here in this text. The ability to nourish the people, the ability to to have that uh, uh, protectorate, you know, like a shepherd over his sheep, protecting the sheep. Because the wolves creep in among us, and the wolves circle around the herd, so to speak. And the ability to, well, to put it in the marine vernacular, he's a good shot. He can take out the wolf. So let's look at the qualifications. What is it that Paul has to say here in relationship to the office of pastor? First thing you'll see here is the nature of the office. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So let me first talk about that desire. What is that desire? There are a lot of people who desire to be CEOs. Well, the the reality is we're talking about the call. We're talking about the, the anointment of God for the ministry. Not everybody can do the ministry. Not everyone can accomplish the work of the ministry. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. There are many that have abilities that would mimic or come close to what is responsible or what is required of a pastor. But the reality is, are they anointed by God? Are they anointed by God? Are they called of God? Now, I'm not talking about a verbal voice that they heard in the night that says, thou shalt go to First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant. That would be great. 
My wife will tell you that every single time that uh, I felt as though God were moving us someplace, she, she, she said, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the clouds to align up there that says, thou shalt go? No, it is a peace that passes understanding as you know that God is in this, that God has called, that you will, be, you will not be happy anyplace else except where God wants you to be. Now, that holds true from your perspective, too, as you're in the process of looking for a pastor. Is this man called of God? Is it a marriage that is made in heaven? Be looking for that. Be watching for that. Be open to that. So he desires a good work, he says. <clears throat> uh, if a man desires the position, he desires a good work. Now the idea of this word work is the word ergon, and it's a word that, that <laughs> is a word that is that involves blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. I don't know how many of you grew up on farms or had any association with farms. Uh, you need to understand that, that this is not something that you just sit around and do nothing. I have a son. I have two of them. My youngest one. I think I told you he has red hair, right? When he was in school, he was in elementary school, and uh, there was a particular day in which uh, his teacher asked him, where's your homework? And he said, I, I didn't do it. And his teacher says, well, why didn't you do your homework? You need to do your homework. And the conversation progressed to the point where the teacher asked him, well, don't you, do you know what you want to do when you grow up? And he says, I want to be a pastor just like my dad. And she said, why? Because he doesn't have to work. He doesn't have to study. <laughs> she told us that gleefully at parent-teacher conferences. And she also knew that the pastors work hard. If there's someone who is, is not accustomed to working hard, if there's someone who is not a self-starter, they ought not be in the ministry. Because ministry requires a great deal of effort, time, sympathy, empathy, time with people. Now let me interject here this as well. They need to be a people person. They need to be a people person. And by that I mean this. If you're going to shepherd the flock, you need to be among the, the sheep. You need to be able to know when, when one of the sheep are lame or when they're sickly or, or whatever. You need to be among the sheep. You need to know your sheep. That means knowing people, being involved in their lives. Pastors need to do that. And again, I, I think some of, our, some of the problems with our schools today is that they're turning out CEOs that are, are more of managers than they are of shepherds. They need to be people persons. Now, sometimes you hear the word extrovert and introvert, right? Here's a quiz. I'm going to ask it just, you can answer. It's not a rhetorical question. If you could use the word introvert or extrovert with me, which one would you use? I heard the words extrovert everywhere. Would anybody disagree with that? There's one right there that would disagree with that. There's, Jacob does not know. That's because you don't know me. Jan, my former secretary, is here today. Jan, which one am I? I'm a little bit of both. By definition, I'm an introvert. 
I'm an introvert who chooses not to be. It's a choice. It is a choice. An introvert that chooses not to be. Why and how? Why? Because of the call of ministry and how? By the grace of God. By the grace of God. So when we get to this, this uh, he desires a good work, understand that it does involve work. It involves time. And it involves time commitments. Let me interject again here as well. Now this is why this is a two-parter. Because not only am I explaining what's going on here in the text, but I'm also sharing with you some of the practicalities of ministry. Pastor Molino has six children. Did you count them? Six children. You will have a responsibility to make sure he's spending time with those children. Paul, you're the chairman of the board. A buck stops with you, fellow. Well, you can share it with the others as well. Make sure that he's spending time, quality time with his family, with his wife. Because the work of the ministry does demand a great deal of time. Even with a congregation of this size, a lot of time. So work. He desires a good work. Uh, <clears throat> that's the word, uh, the word good. Here's the idea of worthwhile. It's intrinsically good in and of itself. It is a work of ministry that, that is required. It's a work of ministry that, that uh, is necessary in the body of Christ. That's why God appointed the, the pastors and the deacons. Because there is ministry to be done. And it is good work. No matter how dirty it might be, or no matter how easy it might be, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how in, traumatic it may be, it is necessary and worthwhile work that we as pastors do because we love to do it, because God's called us to do it. I cannot imagine doing anything else, in all honesty, than being a pastor. And Pastor Molino, when he was ordained, I'm sure he was asked the question, would you be happy doing anything else? If he answered that question, well, yeah, probably. He would not have been ordained. Because the work of the ministry is a call of God and if you're not called to God, you should not be in the ministry. So that's the, the, the oversight or the overview of ministry in general in terms of the nature of the office. Let me talk a little bit about the qualifications starting in verse number 2. He says here, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded. Man, is he going to give a list of things here? And when I get done explaining what these things are, you're going to sit back and go, well, nobody qualifies to do that. Nobody fits that description. Well, there's only one. And that's the great shepherd. That's why I always refer to the pastor as the under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. He's the shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. And I'm not perfect. No pastor is. Every pa Now, I, that may come as a shock to you. That I'm not perfect. My wife is here and my former secretary is here so they can dissuade you of that. But understand this. <clears throat> As I run my way down through this, these qualifications here, the idea is that, that we do not disqualify ourselves in these areas. And yes, they are very stringent and very strict. 
That's why not many are called to be pastors. It is, it is at the risk of sounding boastful or proud, it is elite. And I use that in a very humble way. There are very few that are qualified today. And there are, good, there are fewer and fewer every day. God forbid that the day should ever come that we'd have nobody qualified to be an under-shepherd. So what are those qualifications, you might ask? Well, first of all, he says here, um, where'd I go? Verse 2. He must be blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? The word that is used here, and, and, and I think it's Titus that he uses the word above reproach, uh, there are two different words to describe this idea. Blameless is the idea that there's nothing there that, that you can get a hold of. It's like having a handle on the suitcase. You ever have one of those suitcases where the handle just breaks off? Well, most of you go and replace the, the suitcase, right? Well, not us. We take binder twine and put it through the holes there and use some duct tape on it, and it works great. But the idea is you need a handle. When Paul is using the word blameless here, he's saying that as far as the pastor is concerned, as the office of pastor is concerned, that individual has no handles that you can get your hands on. There's nothing there to hold on to as far as something that is, that is wrong in his life biblically. There's no handle. The, the above reproach word that is used is another word. I call it the Teflon word. The Teflon word is, have you ever seen the Teflon, the old Teflon commercials back in the 70s? I know some of you weren't around back in the 70s. Back in the 70s, they used to advertise Teflon when it first came on the scene, and they would, they would tilt the, 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 the fry pan up, and the things would slide right off of it. Remember that? Do you know what Teflon is? Come on. <laughs> the whole idea of that word above reproach is that, that the mud can be slung, but nothing sticks. Nothing sticks. If you're going to be in a position such as the position of pastor, people are going to say things. People are going to gossip. People are going to be, they're going to, they're going to say things that are just not well thought out. Sometimes people go home and, and have roast the pastor for, for dinner. I hope that does not happen here. But the idea of what he's saying here as far as blameless is concerned is what he tells Titus as far as above reproach. It's the idea that there, there's nothing there that can be held against him. Yeah, things are going to get said. But there's nothing there that is true. Now, please understand something. We're, we're, we're moving into a culture now where you're guilty until proven in, innocent. That's unfortunate. But anyway, that's the idea of blameless and above reproach as it uh, pertains to the office of pastor. <clears throat> uh, let's see here. Let's move on to the next one. There's a moral qualification. The husband of one wife. Now, what does that mean? I've heard people debate this one and talk about this one until they were blue in the face. The husband of one wife. Well, let me put it to you this way. It's in the qualitative case. What does that mean? Actually, the quantitative case. I gave you the wrong one. The quantitative case. So what does quantitative mean? Number? Uh-huh. In other words, what he's saying here is that he's only got one wife. He doesn't have multiple wives. 
He's not like Solomon. 300 wives and 700 concubines. Man, I have problems with just one. Oh, excuse me, that came out wrong. It is in the quantitative, and the idea there is that there's only one at a time. Now, you're going to ask the question, what about divorce? Well, that comes later. That comes later, and I'll talk about that one. But here, it is specifically, he's just got one wife. He's not a polygamist. Just one. Usually, that one's not a problem. Secondly, the mental qualifications... Temperate. Temperate. This is a word that means dispassionate. He has sober judgment. He has wise caution. He deals with life. He deals with situations. And and frankly, when you're a pastor and you're dealing with with not just uh, your own family issues, but you're dealing with the issues of all the families that are part of a congregation, you need to have this particular quality in your life. A dispassionate approach of being able to look at situations objectively, being able to, to evaluate those situations. You know, you're going to have people come in, and they're going to say one thing, and, and somebody else is going to say another thing. Which one do you believe? Which one do you follow? Which one do you act on? That never happens, does it? Oh, yeah, it does. Oftentimes, it's just a question of perspective. Where are people looking at it from? Real quick, I need to add this here. As a pastor, I hope you don't mind me very transparent with you. I can be because I'm not your pastor, right? It's one of the joys of being the interim. One of the, one of the issues or one of the things that's part of being a pastor is, and I mentioned it just a moment ago, is that not only does he carry the, the emotional and spiritual load of his own family, but he carries the load of every single person that sits in his congregation. Have you ever thought about that? He is carrying all of that baggage on his shoulders. Now you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, why is he doing that? He's the shepherd. He's the shepherd. And and speaking from where I'm at today, I, I will tell you, Pastors go to bed at night and they're thinking about the needs of their congregation. They wake up in the morning and they're thinking about the needs of their congregation. And there may be names and faces that are very uh, right up front because of immediate needs. Thus the reason why it's so important for you as a congregation to be encouraging and praying for your pastor. Because he does carry that load. Now, you may also be sitting there and going, well, it's impossible to carry that load. You're right. It is impossible to carry that load. That's why where God calls, that's why it's so important that he's called by God to be that pastor. When you're called of God, you are enabled by God to accomplish that ministry. Now, I can't explain it. It doesn't come in a bottle. It's not in some book someplace. But the fact is that when, as the pastor, you are there, you are on site, you are doing ministry, that God enables you to do that ministry. By the way, if there are any former pastors here, 
You can say amen anytime you want to, okay? Okay, so he's temperate, he's dispassionate, he's got sober judgment, wise caution. He's also sound-minded, it says here, or sober-minded in the New King James. He is sound-minded. This is a quality of mind which is serious. Uh-oh. Well, let me put it to you this way. He's earnest. He's sound. He's prudent. He's thoughtful. And the whole concept of this sober-mindedness is that the fact that he has balanced judgment. Balanced judgment. He's not the kind of guy who's going to jump at a knee-jerk kind of reaction to any kind of circumstance or situation. I was working as an interim in another place in which um, I'd asked about their policy manual, and they provided me one. I kid you not, it was that thick. Three-ring binder. That thick. And I, I... when he, when he handed it to me, I looked at him and I said, okay, are you, are you, are you doing every, everything that's in here? He says, oh, well, no. I, then I said, I looked at him, serious-minded, sober-minded, balanced judgment. I looked him in the eye and I said, do you understand that you're legally liable for everything that is in this book? You'd have thought I shot him. Most policies are the product of knee-jerk reactions to something that has happened. While there's no... While it's not wrong to have policies, you need to be careful about the policies. And a pastor, as you're looking at the qualifications here, is a man who has got a balanced judgment as he deals with the life, as he deals with your lives and the things that you are going through and the things that you deal with. Because frankly, honestly, from where you're sitting and what you deal with, or what your children are dealing with, we're dealing with serious stuff, aren't we? We're dealing with life-changing things, life-changing decisions that need to be made. And I hope you will avail yourself of your pastor's wisdom to be able to come to him and, sh- and ask him questions. You know, I- I've told congregations all my life, you know, the only dumb question is the one that doesn't get asked. Ask the questions. So he's sober-minded. He's balanced in his judgment. He goes on here. Paul goes on. He says, of good behavior. No lie. Isn't the pastor supposed to be a good boy? Remember that red-haired kid? I think I've told you this before. When he was growing up, we thought one of two things was going to happen. Jan will tell you this. We thought one of two things was going to happen. This kid is either going to jail... Or he's going to be a pastor. So let's go back to what he says here. Of good behavior. Well, you know, when he's a kid, kids are going to be kids. Now believe me, this one got disciplined. My wife will tell you that. And he grew up and he's about to have his first child. I'm praying he's got red hair. (laughs) Oh, my word. We'll see what happens. Well, when we're talking about good behavior here in the description that Paul gives us here, it's the idea of, of, of being well-respected. The idea of, of having a well-ordered life. There's an orderliness about him. His personal habits, his physical habits, the ministry. 
his moral and his mental facilities. Good behavior. Hmm. So yes, there's that respectable element to it, but yes, there's also this orderliness to it as well. That does not mean that he is a, a um, what do you call it, when everything's got to be in its place, all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and, and all my pencils are, are perfectly sharpened and, and in a row. What do they call that? A perfectionist? I can go with that, because I'm one of them. Oh, I always hated to get pencils that were getting down to nubs. You know why? Because all the rest of them were long. The idea of this word is not that he is a perfectionist, but that he is organized and respectable. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. But the reality is some people are not. They're not. When it comes to the pastor, he needs to be. Why? Remember the word bishop? If you're going to be the overseer of a ministry, of a congregation, you need to be organized. You, know, you need to know who the people are. You need to know where they live. You need to know what their phone numbers are. You need to know who their kids are and their grandkids and so on and so forth. Be organized. Search committee, I, I think I'm supplying all sorts of questions for your congregation next week. He goes on here and he talks about being apt to teach. Apt to teach. I'm jumping over hospitable for the moment, and I'll come to that under personality qualifications. Apt to teach is the idea of being able to impart knowledge to others. And I would go so far as to say this, it's more than just knowledge. What was it we were talking about this morning out of Colossians? Knowledge, wisdom, and spiritual understanding. Being able to impart those things, be able to share those things. And is that clock right? Does that say it's noon? He also needs to know when to shut up. <laughs> okay, here it is. Apt to teach. Being able to communicate God's word in a practical way. That people, God's people, can take that word and they can apply it to their lives where they're at so that the rubber can meet the road. In a very practical way. Pastors need to be able to take the cookies and put them on the bottom shelf. That's what it is. So everybody can reach it. I used to have people in our congregations that would say, well, pastor, you're using vocabulary that is so far above me. And I'd tell them, now listen, listen to the sentence, listen to, the, to what I'm saying, because almost every time, if I use one of those $15 words, I'll explain it. And the other thing is, too, don't try to swallow the whole thing. Just take pieces that you can chew on. And then spend the rest of the week thinking about that and what God has for you. So he needs to be apt to teach, able to teach. And by the way, my understanding of Pastor Molino is that he is a very innovative teacher. I think you'll enjoy him. You're going to have questions. I am more than willing to answer those questions. But you will have questions for Pastor Molino next week. May I encourage you to do this? Write them down. Because I promise you that between now and next week, you're going to forget what it was you were thinking about today. Write it down and bring it back next week.
and be ready to ask those questions. If you're uncomfortable asking those questions, give it to one of the members of the search committee. They'll ask the question for you. Okay? By the way, I just volunteered them. They didn't know I was going to say that. But give it to them and they'll, they'll take care of it for you. All right. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, it is such a joy to be able to share your word, whether it's in music or it's from the pulpit. God, I just pray that as we have spent this time together, that it has been productive, that it has been informative. But even more so, Father, that you've opened our hearts and our minds to hear and to see that which you would have us to hear and see. And perhaps even as we've been sharing. God, even though this was a message talking about pastors, maybe there was something there that has pricked a heart. Maybe there's some understanding there that needs to be corrected. God, I pray that your spirit would be at work. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name.